sequelae are inherently unpredictable. Ian Malcolm. I'm Tom from the Ballpark Bros. Here's Mike. This next presentation on the Four Eyed Radio Network is brought to you by Revenge Lover. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off on your order. Hello, this is Steve. And this is Eric. And you're listening to the Crichton Cast. I'm declaring a state of emergency. All personnel restricted to base. Everything seen and heard in that room is top secret. Yes, sir. He didn't tell you what's inside the sphere, did he? You didn't tell him, did you? You didn't tell him what's inside the sphere. And how would you know that, Beth? I am not a warrior. Very soon, you will be. We're going to the jungle. Amy wants green drop drink. No. Amy wants green drop drink. All right, all right. You swear they were married. God creates dinosaurs. God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man. Man destroys God. Man creates dinosaurs. Dinosaurs eat man. Woman inherits the earth. This is, this is magnificent. Oh yeah, ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. But then later there's running and then screaming. Dun, 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 dun. We have returned with more dinosaur talk. Rawr. <laughs> I, uh, Eric, we are back again, and um, in the process of watching Jurassic Park and The Lost World and the other one, Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> the the um, other one. <laughs> yeah, on my, uh, on my Netflix, because they're all there right now, it then pops up with the Lego Jurassic Park thing, and so my oldest son, who's five, wanted to watch that, because I wouldn't let him watch the other ones. We don't need him to see people getting eaten by dinosaurs. So that's been playing almost every day in my house. So the Jurassic <laughs> Park theme song is just embedded in my head right now which is great it's a beautiful wonderful piece of music so i'm glad that i don't have that like stuck in my head because i would think my phone is constantly ringing since that's my current <laughs> ringtone <laughs> my, my current uh, ringtone when i receive a call is the main theme from jurassic park oh. uh, text message is ian malcolm saying life uh, finds a way oh that is and epic. then uh, my my other notification sounds like email and whatnot is the tyrannosaur roar Oh, so. okay. That's it. I, I, you officially have outdone me. I got to, I got to change up some uh, tones on my phone now. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't go full theme like with icons and all like that. But I do usually set my phone up with a little bit of a theme. Uh, like right now, I do have my my lock screen and background is actually a paper art version of the Tyrannosaur paddock scene from the oh, first okay. Jurassic Park. So when my phone is locked, it's this uh, like paper craft version of the Tyrannosaur. And then when I when I unlock it, it's a little paper craft version of Grant holding the flare and the overturned oh. uh, explorer. So, damn. Well, you're you're way cooler. Mine's just a sunset of Phoenix that I took somewhere in Arizona, a sunset shot. So, huh. oh well. You I, I you win as far as the my, Michael. Uh, I tend to leave Michael my stuff Crane. on my phone for months, though. Like I, I probably won't change this. Um, the the previous theme, quote unquote, that I had on here. Um, was a Star Wars one that I'd put on uh, right after seeing Rogue One in the theater. Oh, okay. So right. <laughs> it had been a while <laughs> since I had changed it. Gotcha. Well, there you go. You're just getting in the mood with the Michael Crichton podcast. So, yep. 
Today, we are going to be talking about The Lost World, the sequel to Jurassic Park, the sequel that Michael Crichton did not want to write. <laughs> and we'll be talking about the differences and the similarities, or more so the similarities, which is going to be a very yeah. short podcast if we talk about it that way. Yeah, as, you know, as, as I was saying before we uh, got fired up, I normally, in the past episodes, I've come in with a list detailing a lot of the small changes between the, the film and the book from which the film was based on, and when, when all of these things that we've talked about, because most of the time they're close enough that they're small differences to, to pick at. With this one, right. I did not, I, I couldn't even begin to do that. <laughs> it, it was so, so different. It's, it's more apt for us to just talk about the two stories and then talk about the few points where they did become similar. We we were on the same exact path, Eric, because I have a list of the similarities because that <laughs> list was nice and easy to compile. <laughs> like, yeah, I, like I think I, I think there was three characters and then there was two scenes. <laughs> like that's my list of similarities between novel and film. <laughs> yeah, it's it's absolutely uh, crazy to me, especially considering, like you said, this was a novel that Crichton didn't really want to write. He had really no interest in writing a sequel uh, to his work. But he was kind of, uh, you know, the money was was there, and he was being asked by both fans and uh, producers alike to, you're like, hey, um, y you saw how big this movie was, right? You know, we could we can cash in on that again, um, right? And so well, he, I, he did. He wrote this novel, and then they made the movie, and it's like, why did you even bother having him write a novel? <laughs> Exactly. And I'd, and I'd like to give Michael Crichton a little bit of credit, because if, if the stories are true, even though all of his fans requested a sequel, he really, really did not want to do it. And supposedly it wasn't until Steven Spielberg himself asked him, because this was such a huge movie for Spielberg, to write a sequel that he did it. Because so, he knew, I mean, how hard a sequel is to write. And I think he he said something along the lines of, you have to do something similar but different enough. And it's so hard because you can so easily just write the same thing. And sadly, there are so many points that are the same thing. Like, I wish that Ian Malcolm was not in the sequel, which, su surprise, shock, if no one has read or seen <laughs> anything. Um, yeah, Ian Malcolm, you think, died in the first one pretty much. We left him there. He literally there. had to resurrect the character because, yeah, when they leave the island, he he's asked specifically. They ask, uh, um, it was Muldoon, I believe, was asked directly mm -hmm. about, Mal hey, what about Malcolm? And he just shook his head. Nope. Didn't make nope. it. And so, yeah. okay, we had him marked off as a casualty of the first movie, or the first mm -hmm. uh, book. First book. Um, and yet, you know, in the movie, he survived. So having him in the sequel to the movie is not a problem. But you know, the book was a little bit harder. It took a little bit more effort. Um, you know, luckily, you know, he. I guess he had the out that nobody actually... You know, you didn't see his body. You didn't see him get eaten by a dinosaur or anything like that in the book. So it was a little easier to resurrect than, you know, say they they had wanted to get Hammond back in the book, for example, which, you know, he's in the movie. <laughs> so. Right. But oh, I'm sorry. Yes, he died in the book. So, <laughs> um, well, and yeah, this is the the novel is based six years after Jurassic Park happened. So and they talk about uh, Ian Malcolm's year of recovery and everything else. My two huge issues with Ian Malcolm are one, because. 
Well, I'll start with this one. One, his character in the novel, I couldn't believe as much because in the novel, he's all of a sudden he, you know, he's still the chaos theorist and mathematician, but now all of a sudden he's way more interested in dinosaurs. And I like in the novel that nobody knew about Jurassic Park. The non-disclosure agreements were all signed. Nobody knew about it. Unlike in the film, where kind of everybody knew what had gone on and stuff. It wasn't a huge secret. But uh, the other big problem I had is it became formulaic. Uh, the exact same thing happened to Ian Malcolm in the last half of the book. Yep. You know, his leg, his fall, all of a sudden, you know, he's on the morphine and he's spouting all these words of wisdom and everything and he's just <laughs> sitting there ready to die again. It's the exact same yep. thing. Yep. And so what Michael Crichton was afraid of did happen. You have the same thing. And I wish that we would just would have had a whole new set of characters. Inst- and you know, just mentioning because they mentioned you know Sattler and and everybody and everybody else a little bit. Yeah, they but, mentioned their existence. Um, yeah, you know, they the, exist. the survivors from the first book are mentioned, but they're not major players in this book, with the exception of the two major players we get from the previous book. Uh, in for this one are Lewis Dodgson and Ian Malcolm. Those are your two main players. And, you know, Dodson was more of a, a little bit character in both the film and the book for Jurassic Park. But they bring him back uh, as, as much more of a major role for The Lost World. Right, right, in a big way. And you and you had, you had the similarities. You know, Ian Malcolm is going there, he believes, to uh, rescue somebody who is a scientist that's not even in the film. Because in the <laughs> film, he's rescuing Sarah Harding, who, by the way, in the novel... Like Sarah Harding was total hottie. Like she was just mm-hmm. a badass. Like I'm imagining her on that motorcycle with that rifle over her arm and everything else. Like I was like, you know oh, who I imagine? Yeah, you know how I imagine uh, when I'm reading that scene and I'm trying to push, you know, the the movie version of Sarah Harding out of my head to imagine what he was writing. And right. you know what popped in my head? Sarah uh, Connor in Terminator Two. Terminator Two. Yep. <laughs> totally, dude. That's yeah, what popped that's... into my head. That's who mm-hmm. Sarah Harding should have been. Yep. Um, now, not that uh, not that she didn't do a good job with what she was given, as far as the way the character was written for the movie. Um, completely different, completely different character. And Julianne oh. Moore, I felt, did a fantastic job with what she was given. Which and I, I love I her. She's one of my wasn't. favorite redheads. But yes, yeah. I just feel that yeah they they weren't given very much to work with in the movie, and it's 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 odd. It's it's one of these ones. You know, spoiler alert. I'll just jump right jump the gun a little bit here. Uh, I did like the book. More than the movie, yes, but not by a lot. <laughs> no, I mean because I, I I'm not a fan of either one very much. Exactly, but yeah. It's... I definitely was more of a fan of the book, and I really, really was bumming about the book until the last like third of it. The, you know, things started getting really exciting in the last half, last third, because in the beginning, I'm like, oh man, it this was, is just it was like a I, lot I could of, of lecture, and I felt right. that he used the excuse. It, it seemed to me that he really wanted to get a lot of science down. In this one, mm-hmm. for some reason, like he was just like, I'm going to get a ton of science into this book. It's going to happen. Right. And how I'm going to do that is I'm going to have these two kids here that need every little thing explained to them every single time. And yeah. that's how it happened. Every time something would come up, why are you doing that, said one of the kids. And, oh, blah, 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 blah. You know, here's three pages of exposition on some scientific theory that is probably been disproven or is not the current theory now <laughs> anyway. Um, right. And it's like this. It got really dreary, really quick. Um, this was one of the ones that I actually was able to read it easier than listen to it. Oddly <laughs> enough, and I think it's so, because when you get to those those stages where it's just you know big blocks of text, 
I skim them. Like, I don't do it consciously, like, I'm just going to skip this part, but I think my brain just kind of says, okay, yeah, he's mumble, 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 mumble. Okay, here we go, back into the story. Okay, Whereas yeah, now when let's I'm listening start to push to it, the story. <laughs> yep, exactly. So I, I think that's funny that you mentioned that because, yeah, I had a work event, and I was listening to the audio of this, and um, it was about a six-hour-long work event, and I'm listening to the audio and the audio, and I'll tell you the one thing that I love about I subscribe to Amazon for the audio, but when you're done listening to it, if you're reading it through Amazon too, it asks, hey, do you want to continue where you left off on the audio version? So that was really cool. It just automatically jumped to the book version right to where I left off on the audio version so I didn't have to reread that six hours I listened to. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty neat. And then if I read some more, I went back to the audio again just to test it, and sure enough, it said, hey, this is where you last left off because I'm reading and listening through Amazon. So it just synced it all up between my my Kindle and my phone where I was listening from, which is kind of neat. That's pretty cool. Yeah, Yeah. I I might have to check that out because I've been reading. I I use the Nook app for my mm-hmm. my reading uh, for my ebooks but I use uh, Audible which is part of Amazon for the audiobooks right. so I might have to uh, to jump over although I don't know if I like I'd have to try it I'd have to try it with a book and see if I liked switching back and forth I I think I prefer to just read it all the way through or listen to it all the way through but I haven't tried it, so I can't knock yeah. it until I've tried it. And well, and this is the first time I tried or even realized it, and it was because of that science stuff. I realized, I was like, man, the six hours worth of listening, like, it just was not as good as, like, when you listen to The Great Train Robbery. Like, that was just engrossing and everything. And this way, it was just, like, so much science. Like, I'm just dozing off, you know. I'm want, My eyes are just wondering. I'm not really paying attention to what I'm listening to because it wasn't like I was reading where, you know, you can skip that big section there. You know this isn't pushing the story. And that happened quite a bit in this book, unfortunately. Yeah. The other thing I really noticed about the book that I didn't really like, although I can understand why it happened, and I don't know if you felt the same way. I want to ask you this. Mm-hmm. The character of Ian Malcolm, you mentioned that he seemed to change from the from the first book to this book. I feel that he was almost as if he was trying to write the character as Jeff Goldblum as opposed to yeah. his original vision of the character. Like he yeah. knows that, okay, now this person is going to be playing this part, so now I'm going to... It seemed a noticeable change to me. If I were only reading the books and not watching the movies at all, I think I would have been like, wait a minute, this is supposed to be the same guy? No, and it, and it was completely a noticeable change for me. And you, I didn't think about this that this way. He had seen the movies, so he's thinking Jeff Goldblum in his head because this is a sequel that's going to eventually be a movie. And that totally ruined it for me because this Ian Malcolm character is completely different from the first one. I mean, this Ian Malcolm character now all of a sudden knows a shit ton about dinosaurs and he knows, and he actually cares about this island and everything else. I actually, the one thing the movie did better was Ian Malcolm's character. Yes. He wanted Ian Malcolm's nothing character to would do not, with that island when he exactly. found out about it. He wanted to stop other people who wanted to go. He was like, I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to tell them not to go because you're out your dang mind. <laughs> Right. I mean, because and this was a guy and and they did lead into the the NDA stuff and all this because Ian Malcolm's pretty much just this crazy guy because, you know, he broke the rules, which is Ian Malcolm. He's the chaos guy. He's going to break the rules. He's going to tell everybody about this island and nobody's going to believe him and and everything else because there's no proof. Um, But, you know, the Ian Malcolm in the film is more like the Ian Malcolm in the original novel than the novel version. Yeah. So and that's what really um took away from the novel for me was Ian Malcolm's character. I like I said I loved Sarah Harding's character. I um I liked uh, the doc Jack Thorne and his assistant Eddie Carr. 
Um, I liked Arby and Kelly. You know, I liked I liked all this stuff. But you know, in the film, we had to combine them. Uh, Doc Thorne and Eddie Carr became the same person, and Arby and Kelly became the same person. Yeah. But then Kelly became Ian's kid, which yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and Sarah Harding and them were definitely in a relationship. Where in the novel, it just like hints that they had been kind of in a relationship at one or two times. But you know, it, and, and it really hints more that she got into a relationship with him to try to find out what happened to him on the island in the original book it right. really it, seems it was like when, when she realized she wasn't going to get that information that she wanted that he was he was actually in the book he was following the nda he never said he never told anybody about what happened on that island nope, so when they show it. up at this new island there's dinosaurs they're like how is this possible and he's like well let me let me tell you a story because <laughs> he hadn't told here. anybody at that point nope. which is the then complete all of a sudden opposite he could tell. of the movie where he was the only one out of the entire group to break the nda and go on tv and tell everybody about this and everybody else denied it made him look like a who cost him his job, cost him his livelihood, you know. He's right. like, I, I don't understand why they changed so much. There were some things that I felt fit a little better in the film just because, you know, like having Hammond in the film makes sense because you didn't kill him in the first one. So Yes, yeah, so you had to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we also briefly actually see the kids from the first film. They're basically a cameo. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just a, just one little more tie-in just to prove, hey, no, seriously, this is a sequel to that movie. Um, right. We don't see Grant or Sadler. And in fact, mm-hmm. as far as I'm aware, they're, I, I think they're only mentioned once and just in the context of those two, uh, you know, they, they kept their NDAs. Right, well, because the, the the only time that I think they're mentioned is near the beginning when the uh, the private eye spy guy is uh, working for um, uh, for Biosyn or whatever that company was, you know, and he's reporting on them and what they're doing. You know, that's the only reason you know. And and what was interesting was where Sadler and Grant were at was very similar to where you get introduced to them in Jurassic Park three. Mm-hmm. So again, Jurassic Park three is stuff from Jurassic Park and the Lost yep. World to create this wonderful thing. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, obviously, like pri- the opening scene of the Lost World movie does not come from the Lost, the Lost World, World. Novel at all. In fact, it comes from basically the opening scene of the first book. It's the little girl on the beach. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> <clears throat> and so you're like right off the bat. If you're if you read the books, you're like, oh wait a minute, are they? What, where are they going with this? What's mm-hmm. going on? Um. Yeah, there's so many just glaring differences right from the get-go that it makes it very hard to to think of these two entities as the same story. Um, basically, the similarities that you have, you do have this second island, this Site B, that uh, Injun used as essentially the, the factory floor for the for the dinosaur breeding. Uh, it's pointed out in, in a lot of detail in the book, and in the movie it's kind of an offhand remark by Hammond, like, oh, yeah, we needed a bigger space to for the factory. <laughs> Duh. Um, in the book, you know, Malcolm's like, oh, yeah, it was a dog and pony show at the other island where you just saw, you know, here's us taking DNA out of amber, and then, boom, dino egg. Where's all the steps between? Well, they're over yep. here on this other island is where they are. The, yeah, and the, I, I love the uh, the manufacturing plant and everything else too that they that they really show in the other island, which uh, which, which was neat, you know, neat to see that, neat to see uh, how the island's electricity was made and everything else. But um, the further along you get into the book, the further you realize, the further the characters are alluding to the fact that something is very wrong here. You know, why are there so many predators? Where are all the bones of the dinosaurs and you know why are they starting to show up uh, actually in costa rica and stuff like that um so it was i 
yeah, I enjoyed the book better than the movie. Uh, dynamic, it's so different they, dynamic. Yeah, the 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 actual island itself. You know, they have the same. You know, it's Isla Sorna. It's called Site B. It's where they made the dinosaurs. Even there is basically where the similarities end. I mean, well, okay, they both had uh, geothermal powers, how they got their, their power. And they did briefly mention, you know, they said, you know, Hammond told uh, Malcolm, there will be power on the island because the you know, because it's geothermal. So you'll be able to call for a helicopter once you get there. Okay, mm-hmm. great. A um, lot more detail into that. And they're surprised when they find that there's electricity on the island because they've got this geothermal plant with uh, gold, uh, you know, solid gold turbine things so that they don't disintegrate in the sulfur. Um, all this fancy stuff that, <clears throat> you know, they're like, this shouldn't be possible. And you're just, you just want somebody say they spared no expense. Somebody say it. And nobody does. It's very frustrating. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the one thing you want them to say, and they're like, nope, not going to do it. No expense. But mm. then in the movie, they allude to this being basically a true lost world. Now you have these dinosaurs living in their own ecosystem, and they're, they're, they're natural. There's no fences. There's no pens. There's, you know, perfect, you know, harmony between, yeah, the, the uh, carnivores are eating the herbivores, but that's what they do. That's, you know, it's normal. There's right. never a point where they point where they they say there's too many carnivores for how many herbivores there are on the on the island. There's mm-hmm. never any allusion to any sort of disease uh, happening with the dinosaurs. There's never any kind of um, there's never any indication that the whole point of them going there is to study how the dinosaurs lived to better tell how they may have gone extinct in the first place. That's pretty much the only reason that Malcolm wants to go to the island. Right and. <clears throat> He ends up going a little sooner than expected. In the book, he's always intending on going. He ends up having to go a little sooner than expected because his, you know, buddy coworker, uh, you know, went over there by right. himself and got himself stuck. Right. But he always intended on going over there. Mm-hmm. They changed that completely around for the movie, which actually I appreciate because, as we said, I think it fits the Malcolm character as he was presented in the first stories better. <laughs> The fact that he wanted nothing to do with this damn island, and it wasn't until the fact that he found out his girlfriend was already over there that he's like, well, crap, <laughs> now I right. have to go, <laughs> you son of a gun. Yeah. He wasn't happy about it either. <laughs> no, and uh, and that's exactly why the Ian Malcolm character in the movie is better to me. And even the Sarah Harding character, you know, I mean, she went to this island with dinosaurs not thinking a second thing of it, which is the character from the book. I mean, Sarah Harding, you know, she was studying lions in Africa by herself. I mean, she this is just what she did. She was this badass to the world, and, and, and she was beautiful. And the character uh, Kelly, the girl in the book, who is not Ian Malcolm's daughter, uh, she you know, uh, totally is in love with her and wants to be her and hero worships her and everything. And so the Sarah Harding character in the movie is kind of similar to that. I, I just, she was so much, so much better in the book though, because you know, she comes later towards the end. She ends up saving them. She, yeah. The motorcycle scene in the book just was great to me. Um, but so let's talk about, so two scenes that came immediately to mind and one of them had its own chapter, Mm -hmm. which was the high hide. Yep. So that was directly into the book. And then the other was the trailers and the Tyrannosaurus Rexes pushing them off the cliff, which was like exactly out of the book. Yes, very, very, very close to the scene in the book. That that actual scene where they have taken the uh, baby Tyrannosaur, which um, is much smaller in the book. They do point out that it's only about the size of a turkey in the book. Mm-hmm. In the movie, it's you know the size it's of like, like a, a five-year-old child. Right, um, right. But anyway, they have this, this dinosaur. It's got a broken leg. Um they don't want to in in the book 
Malcolm and Sarah Harding both say, oh, it's going to die. Shoot it. Put it out of its misery. Let's go. Mm -hmm. They are smart enough to say, no, we are not taking this thing with us and doing something with it. It needs to stay where it is. It's the other guy. It's the tech guy who's like, I can't leave this poor little animal with a broken leg. I I can help this out, which makes more sense because that's one of the complaints that I have from the movie is why is Sarah Harding this well-documented naturalist, this person who has studied predatory behavior and is there specifically, like her whole idea is that she wants to study and observe without interfering the interaction that these parent tyrannosaurs have with their their infants. She is not going to pick up this baby infant tyrannosaur and take it back to her trailer. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. that was just the dumbest thing she could have possibly done, as is pointed out by every other character. But like why would she do that? And in the book, she doesn't. She's not the one who does that. Once it's there and she's like, okay, well, let's – it's here now. It's done. Let's help it and get it back to its parents before they show up. They don't make it. Parents show up, get mad, take the baby. And it's very much like the movie. They, they come. They get the baby. They put it to the side and come back and kick the crap out of the trailers anyway. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so and I don't know if you saw any others, but those are the two that were just glaring. Boom, those are the scenes that were in it. Otherwise, just very. I mean, that's the similarities there. You have Ian Malcolm, you have Sarah Harding, uh, I mean, and even then, that's just the names of the characters. Um, and then you have those two scenes, but it's two very different. Yeah, beyond that, it, it, it differs very, very greatly in the rest of the story. Um, you know, you know, not taking into account. I, w- I want to set aside the ending of the movie because I want to talk about that completely separate. <laughs> Okay, I'm Anyways, glad you want to do that. Um, but in the book, uh, we're introduced. Now, this is the one thing I thought was interesting. In the book, we're introduced to something that we don't see in any of the movies until Jurassic World, really. Oh. The the chameleon dinosaurs. Yeah. I was, dinosaurs are you talking about the Carnotaurus? The, yes. Yeah. Um, in, badass. In Jurassic Park 3, we get a little bit of a Megasaur, but it's not really – it's not the same thing. It, it kind of looks a little bit similar to how they describe these the, the these ones. The, the Carnotaurus, they, yeah. Yeah, but they do not have the ability. You know, the whole point is that even the raptors are scared of these things. Oh, no. Oh. Um, and yeah, they're just they're just badass. They describe how quickly they're able to mimic their surroundings uh, to an alarming degree. And yeah, we get to see that with uh, you know that's one of the, the abilities that the Indominus Rex evidently has. <laughs> yeah, well, because if you if you look into the canon about it, the Indominus Rex was bred using some of the Carnotaurus, uh, you know, along with everything else. But yeah, in, in the film. They're still sticking with the T-Rex being the big badass. But in this novel, in this novel, every dinosaur on this island is a predator. So everything's bad, but this is a brand new one. And it's only in a chapter and a half at the end. But it is such a great scene because they're, they're running into this open field near where the manufacturing plant is. There's a gas station there, and they're hoping there's gas for the car. And they're being chased by... Um, all these uh, raptors, and like then the raptors just leave. Raptors. There's like a ridiculous amount of raptors yeah. after them. <laughs> and the the raptors just go away, and they have no idea why. And then when one guy is going to check for fuel, he thinks he hears breathing, and then somebody turns on lights, and sure enough, somebody sees, and it's just this beautiful, like, quick chameleon. These dinosaurs that just blend in with their surroundings perfectly at nighttime, and that's just their territory. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that is a badass dinosaur. I wish that would have been in the film. <laughs> yes, Um just absolutely fantastic, and they do allude to. So I, um, I thought it was interesting how many characters they combined for the movie, as if they were trying to keep the body count down. 
except for the fact that they really only kept the the body count of living people down because they killed so many more people in the movie. <laughs> yes, I, I because the the hunter team, the team coming to capture dinosaurs for yes. Jurassic Park San Diego, you know, was like thirty people, Which and so in the movie is that was just a for a body count. Uh, we don't yeah. see Biosyn in the movie at all. Dodson isn't even a character in the movie. We don't hear about him nope. at all. Nope. No. And I think he only comes with like four or five people, you know? And even then, like one of them's the boats, you know? So it's such a minimal group. In fact, maybe it's only three. I think it's now only three. It's about. himself and yeah. two others. Um, that's right. I think that's it. Um, oh. <clears throat> and he loses one of them pretty quickly to the Tyrannosaur. But the very first death in the book is uh, the guy, Diego. And we're led to, you know, when you're first reading through, you're kind of assuming that it was a raptor, except the fact that it wasn't really described how a raptor attack would have been described. It's not mm -hmm. until they discover the Carnotaurus later on that he realizes, oh, that's what killed Diego that's at the beginning. What killed that's him. why yep. I didn't see anything <laughs> other mm -hmm. than, you know, my guy dying. Um, so we know that this, you know, of the, I think I counted five deaths in the book total, maybe six. Yeah. I want to say five. Um, and of those, the first is uh, from the from the Carnotaur. From the Carnotaur. Mm -hmm. And then um, I think we, I counted, uh, was it three by Tyrannosaur? Yeah, because the last one, it's fed to their Tyrannosaur babies. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. uh, a scene that we do kind of get in the movie slightly different, but we at least get that, uh, the 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 essence of the, the spirit of the scene of this Tyrannosaur parent uh, wounding the guy who is out there trying to steal the babies and trying to steal the eggs and trying to get these dinosaurs off the island, um, who you know, it ends up it's a different guy, but it is the guy who, in each story, is the one doing these things. And the adult tyrannosaur wounds him and allows the baby to to finish him off to help train him on how to kill. Uh, right. So we do get that in both the the book and the movie. Although it's and much we, more believable in the book because it happens yeah. on the island. You read <laughs> great detail about what's happening. And that's the other thing in the book. I mean, there there's no details. Uh, you, I mean, the detail on how these people die and get eaten and torn apart and everything. Uh, even when the one guy that di falls from the high hide and, and stuff. I mean, it's it's graphic. Uh, we also have the compies. There is similar deaths there with the compies attacking... Um, uh, the weak one with the broken leg or whatever. So there, there's that similarity between the novel and the movie. Yeah, so I think the, um, the death count by dinosaur is one Carnotaur, three Tyrannosaur, and one Compi. Oh, no, no, because we did have a, there was a raptor. It was a raptor, the raptor yeah. To get the guy. So was it only two Tyrannosaur? So probably was only two Tyrannosaur then. Yeah. Either way, it was only five. Two. We're yeah. like, I mean, in the film, you've got 20 people pretty much that die just from raptors alone in a grass field, you know? <laughs> as as the guy who's running into the high grass says, don't run into the tall grass. Oh, my gosh, you're running yeah. into the tall grass. Why are we doing yeah. this? Yep. And, but you're doing it still. You're you're, you're, you're still yelling not to, but you're doing, doing it. it. Yes. <laughs> Why? Yes. Why are you here? Uh, <laughs> that was your, you know, and that's your, your typical film movie <laughs> What you have to do. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Again, this is not a not a film I'd suggest ever. I mean, unless you just you know or want to see people getting by dinosaurs, I guess. And, and the book, even it's it's not in my top list for books, um, sadly. But you know, now that I know that Michael Crichton did not want to do this himself, I feel a little bit better. You know, he was kind of pushed for it, and like you said, you know, there was money involved and everything else. 
it had its good points, but it's not one that I will be reading again anytime soon. No, I definitely got my fill with. I, I did manage to get through the entire audiobook as well as reading it in print um, and watching the movie a couple of times actually because I did watch it. You know, before we recorded the Jurassic Park episode, I had watched mm. it because I had actually went ahead and watched all four because you know once I start watching Jurassic Park, I sometimes just, just keep going just um, can't eat one chip yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly um and that's really the only time i would recommend uh lost world as a film is if you are doing the full the the, the full complement if you're if you're doing all three or even all four jurassic park movies then yeah you can kind of binge them and you kind of get I, th- I think you get a little bit more out of them that way mm. than just one by itself if you're only going to watch one Watch the first one, always. Right, <laughs> Just always. end of story. But, um, right. But if you're going to watch two, uh, watch the first one and watch Jurassic World. If But if you're going to watch three. <laughs> <laughs> three or more, just watch them all in order. Because it is cool that in Jurassic Park 3, uh, you know, we get to see where Stat- Sattler and everybody else is at and stuff. So it, it's kind of cool to see these old characters from the first Jurassic Park. But at the same time, yeah, only if you're watching them all at once, yeah. Yeah, I, I think... It, it's it's really a toss up for me movie wise whether I enjoyed two or three more because um, neither one of them are, are my favorites but I think I liked three a little better but that's not saying a lot <laughs> I'm not saying it's great I'm just saying I think I enjoy it a little bit more actually than uh, than two but I wouldn't typically watch it by itself either you know that's one of those ones that I would watch just all together no and I totally agree with you there I. And, you know, maybe what I'll do is some big old party when Jurassic World 2 comes out and we'll just binge them all and then go watch Jurassic World 2 or something crazy like that. Right. Um, yeah, but that's it. I, uh, I, I, I'm laughing to myself right now because as we're doing this, I just pulled up Twitter and sure enough, right away, there is this guy that's saying he doesn't care what the flaws it has. The Lost World Jurassic Park is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> like, wait a second. Hold up. Oh, Tweet him man. a link to this episode as soon as it's live. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> because what we want to hear doing. from you, guy. We want to hear from you. We uh, want to know. I, I want to hear your version. I do. I want to know yeah. why. Uh, tell me why I'm wrong. I'm always happy to hear why I'm wrong as long as as long as you're respectful about it and and have uh, something to back up your your theory or, or your idea. I'm happy to hear it. I'm happy to entertain things that I might have missed. Um, you know, I, I'm a huge James Bond fan, but I absolutely hated Die Another Day until somebody gave me the uh, idea to watch it with a particular fan theory in mind, and it made it 20 times more enjoyable. <laughs> like, I could actually watch the movie just thinking about okay. this fan theory going through my brain and trying to, like, oh, that, oh, that fits, oh, that fits too, oh, there, there's thing, mm, that doesn't quite fit, but maybe if it was, you know, and just, you know, having that extra layer to, to think about while I was watching it gave me a reason to watch a movie that I would not otherwise have enjoyed watching. I'm so checked out. Mm-hmm. If, uh, if something, if you've got something like that for Lost World or for even Jurassic Park 3, I would love to hear it. Please, I would love to. Or, you know, I would just. I would love to hear if you could tell me like some ties or something behind the scenes that I just completely missed in some story arc somewhere. And I'm going to plug it now, but you can find us anywhere as CrichtonCast on Twitter at, at CrichtonCast on Facebook CrichtonCast. Go to CrichtonCast.com and just leave us a message there. Call us at 802 Jurassic and leave a voicemail. Our uh, our emails, our twitters are all on the CrichtonCast.com website. Uh, we would love to hear 
why you might like the second or third one or just some completely different theory behind even the first one or Jurassic World. You know, we I, I love the theory that the kid in the beginning of Jurassic Park um, that gets scared is uh, what's his name in Jurassic World. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> is Chris Pratt's character in Jurassic World. I love that theory. So if you have anything like that, please, please, yes, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. We, we definitely want to hear from you guys. Uh, even if you completely agree with us, 100%. Hey, we still want to hear from you on that, too. Yeah. Just say, hey, great job. We love, yeah. to, we love to hear from our listeners. We love to hear from you guys. And, uh, you know, we want to interact. We don't want to just talk at you. We'd love to, to you know, converse with you guys as well. So Yeah, we don't want this to be up. just two guys' opinions, you know, because I, I am perfectly okay with having a very wrong opinion. <laughs> I just want you to tell me about it. <laughs> so, All right, Eric, let's get to the end of this, and let's wrap this up with <laughs> the end of our podcast, the end of the novel, and the end of the movie. Let's go to San Diego. <laughs> Jurassic Park meets Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> we suddenly leave the world of Jurassic Park that we know and love and are transported instead to San Diego Harbor, mm-hmm. and a Tyrannosaurus loose in San Diego. <laughs> a Tyrannosaurus loose in San Diego. I just, I can't even say that. Let's, let's with pause a for face. a moment and just imagine. Yes, we, we have left the beautiful uh, islands, the five deaths, and this lost world and everything else, and we're home now, and we're, we're sitting in our apartment on TV, and we're watching the news about a Tyrannosaurus Rex landing at this harbor. Wait a second. What? Now, now, first of all, now here's an interesting thing. First of all, the ship doesn't just land in harbor. It crashes into the harbor because everybody on the ship has been killed somehow by this Tyrannosaur, even though the Tyrannosaur was still in the cargo hold when the ship arrived. It had to break out of the cargo hold. So are we to believe that there was another dinosaur? Was there a raptor that also got on the boat that killed everybody and then just hid? It's, is there a raptor loose in San Diego right now as right we now, speak? Uh, um, never vacationing again in San Diego. <laughs> it's, it's that or somehow the they got the Transverse Rex back into the cargo hold, and then there's the one dead guy that's just like holding that latch. Yeah, well, you know? yeah, you have, of course, well, the, the guy's arm you have that is just guy. holding yeah. the, the – just the arm is holding uh-huh. the latch. Um, yeah, it's like, okay, so first of all, why are all these people dead if the Transverse is still locked in the cargo hold? Okay, but whatever. Now we've got Tyrannosaur running around the streets of San Diego. It's, it's literally like a Godzilla movie. We have this giant monster in streets, knocking over cars, kicking buses into video stores. Um, you know, signs of the times. <laughs> there were video stores. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Obviously a 1990s movie. <laughs> now the one part of this scene that really grinds my gears I got to say, because it was a wonderful, wonderful scene. It was a fun little, okay, this is this is kind of cool. And then they took it to a place it didn't need to go. Okay. The Tyrannosaur, they, they're, they're talking about like, well, it just ate. So now it's going to it's going to get the next thing its body needs. It's going to get it's going to go to a water source. Well, obviously you can't drink the ocean water, I guess. So it has to go find a swimming pool in somebody's backyard instead, because I'm sure Tyrannosaurus love drinking chlorinated water. Chlorinated but anyway, water, so it yeah, goes in this, this family's backyard, and this kid wakes up, sees this dinosaur in the yard drinking from the pool, goes mm-hmm. and wakes up his parents, and he's calm as can be. He just goes in, and he's like, hey, mom, dad, there's a, there's a Tyrannosaur in our backyard. No, seriously, there's a Tyrannosaur in the backyard. Come on, come on, come check this out. And the parents are arguing over, it's the nightlight that caused it, it's the, the you know, they're, they're letting him eat too late at night, they're, you know, they, they think he's having some sort of nightmare, and they're trying to blame each other for what they did to give this kid this nightmare. 
And then they get into the room, look out the window, and there's the Tyrannosaur. And it's like, the kid's like, yep, told you. <laughs> Would have been great right there. That's all that was necessary. No. They had to have the Tyrannosaur eat the kid's dog. Mm-hmm. Why they have to, I, I don't. I don't know. There's no reason for him to eat the dog. We just talked about how he's fed, just needs water now, so he ate, and no, now we've got to just kill the dog. The scene with the dog before that was great. The dog's like, the transfer's coming in, the dog's doing typical small, it's a little dog, and it's mm-hmm. doing a st- typical small dog thing. I've got small dogs, and they try to act big around anything, and then, rah, 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 and the transfer just growls at it, and it's like, runs back in its house. Yep. That, done, fine. That's all the interaction the dog needed in this film. I hate when movies use that old trope of, we got to show you how bad this bad guy is because he's mean to animals too. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to show this guy, like, just in case you don't, yeah, he just killed three people in cold blood and, uh, you know, was talking about a payoff to his Russian mob connections. But we really don't think the audience gets that he's evil yet. So let's have a dog walk past him and he kicks it, okay? All right. Or he randomly rapes somebody. I don't know. These are two tropes that are overused to show badness in movie mm-hmm. villains. And yeah. we we know it's a tyrannosaur. We don't need him to eat the poor kid's dog. No. So I, I was like, yeah, okay, this scene's fun. This is an interesting interaction with the, the dinosaur in the human world. It didn't need to go that far. No. No, and it's this This is like the, the jumping the shark scene for it because they didn't they didn't know how to end this movie because in the book they do get away on a boat uh, those that survived and as they're getting away is when Ian Malcolm and Sarah um, uh, Hadler they explain why all the dinosaurs are dying and why they're not living to be full adults and it's because of this these prions this Mm -hmm. this protein virus that's killing them that was accidentally introduced to them when they were fed um, goat meat and this was a known thing to people who kept zoos and everything like that. But the people who created these dinosaurs didn't realize what they were causing. And so they were going away from this knowing full well that they're all going to eventually die and go extinct again. So we don't have to worry about a thing. Um, so it was it was wrapped up in the book uh, very nicely. Yeah, exactly. Like they, they got off the island. There were no humans left. Everybody who was going to die was already dead. These animals had existed peacefully for quite some time without human interaction because the island itself was just a pain in the butt to get to. Mm-hmm. So the only thing they had to worry about were these dead animals that, you know, they died near the beach or whatever, and they ended up getting swept into the ocean and their carcasses washed up somewhere else. And even then, the Costa Rican government was taking care of it by torching the carcasses as soon as they washed up and getting rid of them. There was a little bit of a hint that these uh, carcasses were probably washing up in some rural areas, and that possibly these these rural farmers, these poor farmers that didn't have a lot going on, that they were finding them and maybe eating them, or their animals were eating them and they were eating their animals because they were showing signs. They they mentioned that this prion in a human would just cause a mild encephalitis. And then they also pointed out that these rural farmers you know, over in this Costa Rican villages were suffering from this mild encephalitis that they couldn't track down the source of. So... There was a little tie in there, you know, the little tie back like, oh, okay, now I know why those farmers were getting sick. You know, either they were eating these washed up dinosaurs because they're like, hey, free meat, or more likely their animals were eating or coming into contact with this. And then they were eating their you know normal livestock and, and getting it that way because they did also point out that prions are not transmittable any way other than actually ingesting them. They have to right. be ingested because they're so simple they can't even transmit themselves. You have to actually eat them. 
which goes back to the beginning of the book of why it is that Ian Malcolm and Levine were so, especially Levine, was so quick to want to get to this island because the Costa Rican government was so worried that this was spreading a huge disease and this is the problem of their disease um, that there was big thought that the Costa Rican government was going to destroy this entire island and destroy all these dinosaurs. I mean, obviously, some people in the Costa Rican government knew what was going on there, even though there was an NDA and everything else. And so because they were definitely... um, yeah, hiding the fact to, they were burning all these bodies. They allude to this being a large facility and with, with the network that they had in place and the amount of vehicles that they had and they had a whole gas station necessary to, to support. So they, there had to be a lot of people working on that island. Mm-hmm. And there were not um, a bunch of human bodies strewn about when they got there. So those people left the island when, you know, when everything went down with the park, they were probably told, get the hell out of there. <laughs> um <laughs> So, yeah, there's got to be a good number of people who knew what InGen was doing and haven't been talking yet, which is one of the less believable parts of the book. I mean, yeah, the whole cloning dinosaurs thing's a stretch, but that's the whole point of the story. (laughs) But to believe that there were probably hundreds, you know, at least dozens, probably hundreds of InGen employees that knew at least some part of what was going on. And somebody would have, you know, would have had a debt that needed to be paid and would have been able, would have gone somewhere and sold their story to be like, hey, you know what my company used to do? We used to clone dinosaurs. Let me tell you about it. Especially considering you have a competing company that knows that this went down and has been trying to get those secrets. You don't think uh, Biosyn would have been sending people out searching for these former InGen employees to try to pry any details out of them they could? Absolutely, they would have. So mm-hmm. a little bit of a, a gap there, I think, in the plot and the fact that, okay, you've got this secret island that hundreds of people worked at. Um, well, you didn't t- you didn't say anything about them being all dead. So I'm thinking there's, you know, at least at the very least dozens of people out there who know at least some of what InGen was doing. And I think the story would have gotten out a little bit. Right, right. No, and that's... I don't know. I, you know, sadly, this alludes to this is not a book or a film that I would suggest. You know, if somebody comes to ask me, hey, okay, you're into Michael Crichton, what should I read? It just, it, this is one of those episodes where uh, we're really glad you've listened and we're really excited that you love Michael Crichton like we do, but uh, sorry to bum everybody out. This isn't one of those ones. So <laughs> I think every author, I mean, if you took any author that has done more than two things, you will probably find. One of those things is not as good as the other. And when you have uh, dozens of works, you're going to have several that fall below the average, several that fall above the average. You're going to have some like the first Jurassic Park, both the movie and the book, both fantastic, highly recommended. Mm -hmm. And then you have their sequel, (laughs) which in this case, both the book and the movie are uh, subpar. And part of it is the fact that it, it kind of comes through in his writing that he didn't this wasn't something he was excited about writing about. He'd written this story already. Hey, this is Steve from the Crichton cast, and you probably thought that was a pretty abrupt ending to the episode. Well, it was. We had some recording issues at the end, and it cut out right before we were done. Don't worry, you didn't miss much. You kind of got the gist of it. We were not big fans of the novel or the film in this case, but maybe you were. And we would love to hear why you were. We would love for you to convince us to love it even more, because we are fans of Michael Crichton's, even though these ones are a little low on our list. Reach out to us. All the ways to contact us are at CrichtonCast.com, Facebook, Twitter, email, phone and voicemail, you name it. Thank you very much for listening. Don't worry, I'm not making the same mistakes again.
No, you're making you're making all new ones.